0: Judges 14, verses 1 through 20. Again, continuation of the series, Samson. Pastor Bruce will be preaching this morning about the man of strength and the man of weakness. We'll discover what happens when you pursue what you don't need. So follow along again as I read Judges 14, verses 1 through 20. Now Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. that he was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. "'though he had nothing in his hand. "'But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. "'Then he went down and talked with the woman, "'and she pleased Samson well. "'After some time, when he returned to get her, "'he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, "'and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. "'He took some of it in his hands and went along, eating.' When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them, and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for a young men used to do so. And it happened, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. Then Samson said to them, Let me pose a riddle to you. If you can correctly solve and explain it to me within the seven days of the feast, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. But if you cannot explain it to me, then you shall give me thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothing. And they said to him, Pose your riddle, that we may hear it. So he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. Now, for three days they could not explain the riddle, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband, that he may explain the riddle to us, or else we will burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us in order to take what is ours? Is that not so? Then Samson's wife wept on him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have posed a riddle to sons of my people, but you have not explained it to me. And he said to her, Look, I have not explained it to my father or my mother. So should I explain it to you? Now she had wept on him the seven days while their feast lasted. And it happened on the seventh day that he told her, because she expressed him so much that she explained the riddle to the sons of the people. So the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down. What is sweeter than honey? And what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them. If you had not plowed with my heifer. You would have not solved my riddle. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. And he went down to Ascalon and killed thirty of their men. Took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused. And he went back up to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. Bow our heads and pray, please, this morning. Heavenly Father, you are the giver of all. You bless us with an abundance. You, Father, are always what we need most in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, teach us this morning what we can learn from Samson. Help us to be fully dependent on you, trusting you as our Lord of our lives. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your love for us, Father. Be with Pastor Bruce in this message this morning. Thank you for allowing us to be in your house this morning where we can hear and receive from you. May we act upon what we hear from you this morning. We thank you in your name. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Randy. Appreciate you reading that. I appreciate you all standing for the reading of God's word, even though it's 20 verses. But what a great story. In fact, it's hard to read. Uh, all the stories of Samson and not just be fascinated by these stories, these exploits, these battles, these, the revenge and the rage and the romance of Samson. And uh, and that's what we're doing. We're kind of looking at the life of Samson. We're in this series called Samson, this, this man of strength, but also this man of weakness. And we started this series last Sunday and uh, almost everyone has heard at least one story about Samson. Almost everyone knows something about Samson. In fact, one of the the intriguing little side plots or subplots of the story of Samson in chapter 14, of which Randy read, that most people are familiar with, is when he tears apart this lion and kills the lion. Um, And so his feats are rather legendary. But as we saw last Sunday, so are his flaws. In fact, his two greatest weaknesses were, we could say it this way, were romance and revenge. Samson, you could kind of describe him as this he-man with a she-weakness, which often led him on this road to revenge, which we will look at next Sunday in chapter 15. Chapter 15 is all about Samson taking revenge, and it's a cycle of revenge. Samson was this extremely gifted individual, but he was certainly not a, quote, godly individual. He was strong on the outside, but he had no control on the inside, as we will see in this message this morning. In fact, the truth of the matter is, if we are are really honest with ourselves, if we would open up our hearts to God and even to ourselves, we would have to conclude that there's a little bit of Samson in all of us this morning, and there's a whole lot of Samson in some of us this morning and that's why we're taking uh, the next few weeks to study the life of samson we want to learn some life lessons from this flawed hero that is in the bible it's not by accident god has a reason he's put this story in his word so that we can learn from the life of samson so we can learn some life lessons from this hero here now Before we progress, before we go any further and get into chapter 14 here, let's remember where Samson started. Let's go back to last Sunday and kind of review just briefly here, because chapter 13 of Judges is meant to impress upon us the advantages, in fact, the great advantages that Samson started with in his life. Do you remember Samson started with this God-ordained purpose in life? Anybody remember what that was? His purpose was to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. The very first verse of Judges 13 opens up and tells us that the Israelites were under the oppression, under the dominance and the rule of the Philistines. And out of God's grace, He wants to send them this deliverer. Who is this deliverer? It's none other than Samson. In fact, this, his purpose was declared by God even before he was born. And so here's a man who never had to question what his mission in life was about. Oh, he may have uh, veered off course from it, but he always knew it. He knew what his purpose in life was, and that was to be this deliverer of Israel. And then Samson started with not only this God-ordained purpose, but another advantage. He had some God-fearing parents. I mean, he couldn't complain about his home life, and that doesn't mean his parents were perfect. They had some flaws about him, too let me tell you, they were some God-fearing parents who raised him. They had to teach him about his Nazarite vow. We looked at that, and that simply means that Samson was set apart to God. He, and, and this was declared before he was even born as well. Normally, a Nazarite vow was, was a vow you took. It was a commitment somebody would take to express and to show outwardly their devotion to God. And for Samson, though, God set it upon him, and it was from birth to death that he was to be a Nazarite, separated unto God. And his parents had to teach him about that. But Samson also started, not only with this God-ordained purpose and and with these God-fearing parents, but Samson started out with God-given power. You know, he was blessed by God. Chapter 13, the last few verses there tells us that that he was blessed by God. Now, how many wouldn't like that? Man, that's, we all want to be blessed by God. And then it continues and says that, that the Spirit of God began to move on Samson's life, began to stir him. And all that is telling us that his power was God given. His power was not physical necessarily, and that he's this big Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Rambo dude wrapped up in one, all in one. He probably looked like, well, You and I. And when the Spirit of God moved mightily upon him, as we see twice now in Judges 14, it was God-given supernatural power. And so he had three great advantages that he started out with. Think about it. No man ever had so much going for him. I mean, Samson had everything he needed in life to fulfill his God-given purpose as a deliverer. Amazing. In fact, what's... Even so, ironic, it's it's hard to even fathom this. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, and Samson there is listed in the Hall of Fame. It tells us, God says that this guy was a man of faith, but he certainly wasn't a, quote, faithful man. He wasn't faithful to his parents' teaching, as we're going to see. He wasn't faithful to his Nazarite vow, as we begin to see in chapter 14. And he certainly wasn't faithful to the laws or the commands of God. And consequently, it didn't take long for Samson to begin to lose almost everything that the Lord had given him. But that only leaves us one question. Man, where in the world did this guy go wrong? What happened to him? I mean, where did Samson go wrong? How did the man who had it all begin to lose it all? Well, I think we can summarize that answer In one short, simple sentence. Look at it in your notes. It happens when you begin to pursue what you don't need. How did the man who had it all lose it all? By pursuing what you don't need in life. Judges 14 unfolds the tragic story of how a man who had it all lost it all because he pursued Something he didn't need in his life. Notice how Judges 14 begins. The very first phrase is key to understanding the context of everything that happens in Judges 14. Just as you go to Judges 13 and the very first phrase is key to understanding the whole life of Samson. Notice what it says again. Now Samson did what? Went down to Timnah. As a young man... I'm sure Samson got a little itchy there in the hometown of Zorah, living in his parents' house. And who, now, who knows how old he is? Perhaps he's 16, 17, 18, maybe 20. But he decided, this, and I'm going to spread my wings and I'm going to begin to flex my muscles in a Philistine city that was only about four miles southwest from Samson's village of Zorah. Now, to get there, you actually had to walk down a ridge into the Sorek River Valley and then up the other side. And so it's literally true that Samson, quote, went down to this listing city of Timnah. Now, as we will discover, though, listen, this is much more. God is giving us insight that this is much more than just a geographical going down. It is also the beginning of a dramatic spiritual decline in Samson's life. In fact, this phrase went down. Did you notice how many times it was used when Randy read for us, Judge, as a deliverer of Israel. Now, in the city of Timna, it's interesting. the w- word Timnah, the name of the city means division or separation. And so Samson begins literally to separate himself from God, to divide himself from God and pursue what he doesn't need in life. Wow. Isn't it interesting how one verse tells us so much? Man, that's the the glory of the Word of God for us here. Now, before we move on, I I, want to let you in on something else, though, because all this brings us to another key to understanding the story of Samson. Because what we're doing in each chapter, we're kind of getting into the details, but before we do, or even afterwards, we need to step back and understand the bigger picture of Samson's life. And what I want you to understand here is even when Samson's life is going, quote, downhill, let me tell you, God's purpose is still being fulfilled. Even when his life is going downhill, and we see that phrase, went down, went down, went down, went down four times, God is still accomplishing his purposes. Judges 4.14, verse 4 is a key verse to the whole chapter here. In this verse is what ties Samson's life to God's purposes you take verse 4 and it ties them together it gives us insight in fact look what it says in verse 4 again but his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord what was of the Lord what was God trying to do what was God's purpose in the life of Samson why why is everything that's happening in verse chapter 14 happening It tells us right here in 4.14, look at it, that he, that is God, was seeking an occasion to move against the Philistines. Why? Because they are the dominators, the oppressors over Israel. For at that time, the Philistines had dominion over Israel. What this tells us is that although God is largely left out of the story of Samson's life in Judges 14... In one way or another, God's purpose is still being fulfilled through the life of Samson. At the same time, while God's purpose is being fulfilled, let me tell you, the course of Samson's life is going down, down, down. Literally and spiritually. You know what this means? You know what I gleaned from this? God is still sovereign, isn't he? God is still sovereign, regardless of my choices in life, regardless of your choices in life. Listen to me. God will fulfill his purpose with us or without us, and many times in spite of us. We either are with God or without him, but either way, God still reigns. God is still sovereign, and he will still fulfill his purpose for his glory. With you or without you, and many times in spite of us. What an awesome thought that is. You keep that in your mind as you read the story of Samson because it's key. Now, let's look at Samson's steps of decline as he pursues what he doesn't need in his life. Four things we see here. Number one, Samson wants what he sees, Samson wants what he sees. This describes the lust of the eyes. In this going down, Samson leaves the land of of Israel for the land of the Philistines. Or to put it bluntly, Samson left his family to visit his enemies. Now, if you look at verse 2, it informs us that this was much more than just a casual visit to Timnah. It was much more than just a, a casual shopping trip to Timnah. Listen, this was something that Samson was doing. He was looking for a wife. And that was his first mistake. If he was looking for a wife, he should not have gone to the Philistines. And if he wasn't looking for a wife, then he should have been going to war with the Philistines. By going down to Timnah, Samson went to the wrong place to look for the wrong thing. On his arrival, as you can imagine, Samson catches the glimpse of a young Philistine woman. And let me tell you, he was instantly attracted to her. In his mind, it was love at first sight. Immediately, Samson rushes back home and he tells his parents in verse 2, I have seen a woman of Timnah, of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, mom, dad, therefore, get her for me because I want her and I want her bad. I can't live without her. After his father objects, Samson tells him at the end of verse three, get her for me. Second time he tells her this and then he reveals something about himself for she pleases me well. Now that phrase, she pleases me well. Some of you may have Bibles that translates that a little differently because it literally means what Samson is saying is she is right in my eyes. She is right in in my eyes. Now, I want you to just stop on that phrase for a moment. Just consider the implications there. What Samson is saying, she is right in my eyes. If you've read the book of Judges before, that phrase sounds very similar to other another phrase that's repeated throughout the book of Judges. The book of Judges tells us that this was a time in the history of Israel When everyone did right according to their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. That was kind of the motto of the Israelites as a nation. If I think it's right, that's what I'm doing. Doesn't matter what God's word says. If it feels good, that's what I'm going to do. And Samson is no different. So get this, Samson's judgment now for a wife. His whole judgment of how he picks a wife is based solely on now physical sight. The lust of the eyes, in other words, is trumpeting and it is triumphing over the word of God. The Bible is telling us something crucial about Samson here. He is a man motivated purely by physical appearance. Samson saw this young woman. She looked good. And now he wants her for his wife. The only problem is, he doesn't have a clue who she is or what she's about. He doesn't know anything about this Philistine woman from the city of Timnah except one thing. She's aligned with the enemy. All he sees is a beautiful babe. And the rest of what really matters in life what really matters to God, what matters to his parents, and what's really important in the making of a marriage doesn't matter to him now. All he sees and all he wants is what he sees. Samson was looking in the wrong place for the wrong thing, for the wrong reason, and let me tell you, he found it. Now, should that surprise anybody here? I mean, think about it. That shouldn't surprise any of us, because in life, usually... Usually in life, let me tell you, you usually get what you're looking for. We usually find it and we usually get it. And so that Samson found a wife shouldn't surprise any of us here. So far, though, Samson has made some mistakes. He's veered off course a little bit. But let me tell you, these mistakes are not fatal. Not yet. But that is about to change because I want you to see one of Samson's first fatal mistakes that he begins to make he rejects the counsel of his parents he rejected the counsel of his parents when it came to the marriage of this Philistine woman here now as you can imagine Samson's parents were in a rather state of shock to say the least when their son comes home tells them that he has seen this Philistine woman and how good she looks, and now, Dad, get her for me. They're in a state of shock. In fact, notice how they question Samson in verse 3. They ask him about it. They confront him with it. They ask Samson, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Listen, Samson's parents basically, and they're questioning, they are telling Samson, listen, we are well aware of what you're doing. We understand the situation, but you're not seeing everything, Samson. Do you know God forbids marriage between a believer and an unbeliever? In fact, you can go to Exodus 34, verse 16. You can go to Deuteronomy 7, verse 3. In, in those two passages, the Bible tells us that the children of Israel were explicitly commanded not to seek husbands and wives from the surrounding pagan nations. Even today, God warns us of the same thing. What was the principle for the Israelites in the Old Testament? Let me tell you, is still a principle for believers in the New Testament. You can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and it says, Clearly, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This warning against, quote, mixed faith marriages is one of the clearest teachings in the Bible. Over and over again, God's people are warned not to intermarry with those who do not share their faith in Jesus Christ. And the reason is clear. It's a simple reason for it. And just one of those reasons is, if you are a believer in Christ, if you're committed in Christ, going His way, His direction, and you marry an unbeliever, more often than not, I know there's exceptions to the rule, but more often than not, he or she will turn you away from God. That's why God gives us this. It's a command, listen to me, that is for our benefit as believers in Christ. It's a command that protects us. Listen, God's not a killjoy. He's trying to protect you and I. And, if you, and let's say even if you, uh, that man or woman, as a husband or wife, you end up marrying an unbeliever and they don't turn you away and you stay faithful, let me tell you, more often than not, There's going to be an ongoing struggle and tension in your marriage. Why? Because there's two people that are trying to come together who do not have the same priorities, the same passions, and the same commitments to Christ. There's bound to be tension and friction. It's not an easy life to live that. And God is trying to say, Let me let let me let me protect you from that. But old Samson, he's hard headed he brushed aside the counsel of his parents and he rashly pursued something that he did not need in his life especially when your calling is to be a Nazarite and your calling is to be the deliverer of Israel he stubbornly and he lustfully chased this woman regardless of his parents wishes or God's commands in fact let me just add a little side note here it's interesting Samson technically is still under his parents authority under their house. And what does Samson do? He comes and he tells, tells his mom and dad, get her for me. Samson's parents are trying to give him counsel and advice saying, this is not part of God's plan for your life. And what Samson is doing, he is reversing the role of a father to a son. Or children to parents. She's that... Our deja vu 2010 in our culture are we not, do we not hear this over and over again all over he is reversing the roles that God established in the home but Samson is a stubborn man as I said and that's what happens when you go to the wrong place looking for the wrong thing with the wrong values in your heart you end up rejecting the counsel of those who know you best and have your best interest at heart. Now some of you may be wondering. At least I wondered this. So I'll pose it. I'll throw it out there. Is Samson just another muscle bound jock who lacks a brain in his head? Because that's kind of the picture you get about right now. Isn't it? Is, is, this, is he a typical doofus if you will? Well as we will soon see we are forced to abandon. Listen to me. Abandon any picture of Samson as a muscle bound numbskull. Rather, though, listen to me, he emerges as a man of considerable intelligence who is nevertheless capable of spectacular, if I can spit the word out, spectacular stupidity when governed by his passions rather than a heart after God. But you know what? That's true for all of us, isn't it? I know it is for me. I know I can relate. Yeah, I've been there, done that with Samson. Which brings us to Samson's second downward step. Number two, Samson tastes what he wants. He tastes what he wants, which is none other than the lust of the flesh. Notice what it says in verse 7. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and oh, she pleased Samson well. Evidently, Samson had not met this woman before now. But hey, that doesn't matter because he is hormone-driven, not Holy Spirit-driven. The most important thing to Samson is pleasing himself, pleasing his flesh, instead of pleasing his parents or pleasing the Lord. And so Samson is going down, 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 and it all started when he pursued what he didn't need in his life. You can write over Samson's life about here, Proverbs 16, 25. You know what that verse says? Oh, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death or destruction. How ironic. That's where Samson ends up at the end of chapter 16. Now reluctantly, Samson's parents consent to their son's wishes and they make this journey with Samson to Tinmah to arrange the wedding. In verse 5 tells us that on the way, Samson leaves his parents to check out the vineyards of Timnah. Now, again, let's pose a question here. Why in the world would Samson want to veer off course here? Why? I mean, why would he want to go check out these vineyards? I mean, it's just just youthful curiosity, perhaps. We can maybe give him that, but nonetheless, he has no business being there in these vineyards of Timnah. After all, he was what? He was a Nazarite. And if he ate of the fruit of the vine, if he ate the grapes, literally, he would be violating his Nazarite vow of separation. And yet, when you chase something, you're not supposed to have. Compromise in other areas of your life always will be the result. Look at verse 5. The rest of it tells us One of the more famous stories of Samson, now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And what happens next reveals the source of Samson's supernatural strength. In verse 6 it says, in the spirit of the Lord, how did it come upon Samson? I love it, mightily, came upon him mightily and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. And though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Now, you've you got to just stop and be amazed by this. I mean, a one short little verse here. I mean, this is amazing. Samson is powerful enough, and he is able to grab the line by the hind legs. Now, I know it's kind of gross, but rip it in half. Just picture that for a moment. Amazing power. This is the first time Samson begins to truly understand and truly discover his God-given physical power. And yet, at the same time, he's being trapped by compromise. Which is nothing more than the result of sacrificing character and integrity for the purpose of pleasing the flesh. Now, another little side question is this. Have you ever wondered, now why, why didn't Samson tell his parents about this little feat? I mean, come on. If you just tore apart a line with your bare hands, are you not going to tell somebody? You're still living under your parents' house. You're traveling with your parents to Timna. And you just killed the lion with your bare hands. Are you not? Who's not going to tell the parents about this? So why didn't he? I mean, I don't know if you children are like my children, but... You know, I'll take one example. When Jack and Tyler play baseball right now, and when Jack gets a hit in a game, let me tell you, it's all he talks about all the way home. He makes some play at home plate when he's playing catcher, a put out. It's all he talks about. You would think it's a legendary feat. Never been done before. Well, for Samson, this is quite true. And yet, he doesn't tell his mom and dad. I personally think the reason why he doesn't tell his parents is not because he's trying to hide the killing of a tiger, but because he's trying to hide the eating of the grapes in the vineyard of Timnah. He knows his parents would be, shall we say, ashamed of him, frown upon that. They wouldn't be proud. And so he's got to hide that, but in order to hide that, he hides where he killed a lion. Perhaps Samson thought to himself, hey, if I can have this girl, I can have the grapes as well. Why not? Soon the time arrived for Samson and his parents to make the final trip to Timnah for the wedding celebration. And on the way, when Samson came close to the spot, Now, you've got to understand the context, the history, the time frame. They had already gone back home to Zorah. They're now, time has elapsed. They're going back to now have the wedding celebration. Okay? And so on the way, when Samson came close to the spot where he had killed the lion, look what it says in verse 8. He turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. Now, don't miss this. That phrase, turned aside. Rather interesting phrase because it tells us that the vineyards of Timnah were not on the pathway to the city of Timnah, which means Samson had to willfully wander off the road to reach the vineyards where he killed the lion. This means he didn't just stumble upon them. Samson veered off course and he deliberately did so. He deliberately went there. Now, get this this is always sin's design for our lives look at this in your notes sin's purpose, sin's design, goal, whatever you want to say is to distract us and to steer us off the right path by enticing us to pursue our own lust we see this at work in Samson's life when he discovers the bees have built a honeycomb inside the dried out carcass of the lion Now. Perhaps Samson thought to himself, hey, listen, you know, this honey, man, that's the reward of my conquest. This is the sweetness of my victory that I now get to taste. I have a right to it. Because with no apparent hesitation, Samson scoops out the honey with his hands and he has a meal. And in doing this, it seems that he violates again another aspect of the Nazarite vow by touching the dead body of the lion. And then, rather interesting, he rejoins his parents. And what does he do? Hey, mom and dad, you want some of the honey? He not only defiles himself, but now he defiles his parents. But he doesn't tell his parents where the honey came from. But that's not all. Listen, it gets worse. Look at verse 10. According to verse 10, Samson now, when he finally reaches the city of Timnah, he throws this big wedding feast, which was customary for the bridegrooms in those days but this isn't no ordinary wedding feast what's interesting is the hebrew word for feast there means a banquet but not just any kind of banquet it means a drinking party banquet and in context here it refers to a seven-day drinking party at the home of the bride's parents now we learned last week the part of the Nazarite vow again was abstaining refraining from wine or any strong drink and here samson is doing what Man, he's throwing a drinking party now that doesn't necessarily mean he partook of the drink but after all if you're there why wouldn't you if you're throwing the party and you're the host of the party now let's just take these two incidences and put them together let's take samson and the lion and samson and the wedding feast and just look at him for a moment what Samson wants what he sees. And folks, listen to me. He's now tasting what he wants. He ignored his parents' advice. And now he's in a foreign land partying with the enemy. Samson is now, we could say, living on the edge of destruction. The only part of his Nazarite vow that he is clearly keeping is the command not to cut his hair, And we all know his bad hair day is just around the corner. It's just down the road. Listen, Samson is a picture here of a believer who was compromising his commitment to God Almighty. And if you just look at Samson's long hair, it appears that he is dedicated to God, but his lifestyle tells us a whole different story. On the outside, Samson looks like he's a man of God, but on the inside, he's a man controlled by his lust. Samson's wrong pursuit begins with the lust of the eyes. And it continues now with the lust of the flesh. And now it progresses with the pride of life, which brings us to number three when Samson wagers what he tastes. He wagers what he tastes. We pick up the story in verse 11 on day one of the wedding celebration. He's now surrounded by 30 inebriated Philistine companions. And Samson decides, hey, I'm going to take advantage of the situation by offering a wager in the form of a riddle. It was kind of a friendly, oh, can we say it this way, a friendly battle of the wits, which were somewhat common in those days. And so what was Samson's wager? Well, you see it there in your notes. The wager was, hey, guys, I bet you 30 new suits of clothes. You can't solve my riddle in seven days. They all agreed to Samson's friendly wager. And his brain teaser, if we could call it that, involved the honey that Samson took from the carcass of the lion that he had just killed. Now, Samson's probably thinking to himself, listen, they'll never figure this out. I just got 30 new suits in the bag. So what was Samson's riddle? Randy read it for us, but look at it again. His riddle is this, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Now, let your imagination work for a little bit here. Samson is in the city of Timnah. He's at this big wedding festival. The Philistines are the enemy, but he's fraternizing with them. There's this big party. They're inebriated and drunk, and he's like, man, I'm, I'm going to take advantage of the situation. I'm going to pose this riddle, and boy, have I got a riddle they can't solve. And no doubt, I'm sure Samson announced this riddle with, with great fanfare and with much amusement. And as expected, the Philistines were stumped. The first day came and went, but they couldn't figure out the riddle the second day passed the same way and so did the third day and by the fourth day, let me tell you, the Philistines were getting nervous and also desperate and so they hatched a plan they approached Samson's bride his wife-to-be and they made her an offer she couldn't refuse notice their offer in verse 15 it says, so it came to pass on the seventh day that they said to Samson's wife entice your husband That he may explain the riddle to us or else we will burn you in your father's house with fire. Suddenly, things turn ugly. These are not nice people, folks. We learned that last Sunday. These are the enemy and they are deadly serious in their blackmail. And the word they use is crucial. Do you see that word entice? Entice. Entice. And that word means to seduce a simple minded person. The Philistines would say the same thing to Delilah some 20 years later. Samson was, quote, enticeable because at this point, he's all hormones and no brain. Here's the sad part. Samson's weakness was apparent to everybody but himself. He never saw his weaknesses. And consequently, he never dealt with it. He never admitted it. He never came to grips with it. And in the end, it would prove his undoing. Remember this. Because this is so true for myself and you as well. It's our refusal to deal with our weaknesses. To admit them. To get them out on the table. Confront them and deal with them. That most often gets us in trouble. Most of us are just like Samson here. We will do anything to avoid dealing with the real issues in our life. Oh, how, how we are deceived because we think it somehow it's easier and it's going to be less painful to pretend that everything is just okay even when deep inside we know it's not. And when we don't deal with our weaknesses, let me tell you, there's always, there's always, there's always a price to pay. Which brings us to Samson's final downfall or downward step number four. Samson loses what he wagers. He loses what he wagers, which is the price of sin. Now, faced with this threat of death, that was the blackmail against his bride, Samson's bride uses the number one strategy of women everywhere. You know what that strategy is? When in doubt, cry. For three days she cried and pleaded with Samson to tell her riddle. And finally, after seven days of crying, Samson caves in and tells her the answer to his riddle. And immediately, what does she do? She runs to the Philistines and gives them the secret, the answer to the riddle. These 30 Philistines, quote, solved the riddle. And Samson knew he had been tricked he knew he had been betrayed by his bride and as you can imagine he is furious he is raging and he reacts to the riddle with another two-liner which reveals his wit in verse 18 it's rather humorous look at it if you had not plowed with my heifer you would not have solved my riddle now heifer there Uh, Yeah, it means cow, but it's not a reference to the size of his bride. What Samson is saying is, you cheated. You guys cheated. Because his reference to the heifer here is interesting. A heifer is a young female cow that is not used for plowing. Samson, in other words, is saying, you use my wife in the wrong way. And you are gutless cowards for doing so. Now, that's all true. That's all true and dandy. But nonetheless, Samson has lost his bet. And so he has to find 30 new suits of clothes. Verse 19 gives us his solution. Look at it. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, which tells us, listen to me, that God is still going to fulfill his purposes because his purpose is to overthrow the dominion of the Philistines. And he's going to use Samson in the process. Then the spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he went down to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men took their apparel and gave the changes of clothing to those who had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house. But here's the problem, folks. Listen, in order to obtain their clothes, Samson has to do what? Kill them and then touch their dead bodies, which was a clear violation of his Nazarite vow. Apparently, Samson thinks in his mind, listen, it's more important to pay off my gambling debt to a group of ungodly Philistines than it is to keep my commitment to Almighty God. But it doesn't matter to Samson. Samson is angry because he's just been publicly humiliated at his own wedding celebration. He's been betrayed by his wife and embarrassed by his groomsmen. But what is there really to be angry about? Think about this with me. He's the one who went to the wrong place looking for the wrong thing for the wrong reason. He's the one decided, who decided to marry a Philistine girl. He's the one who thought up the riddle and made the bet. Listen, he's the only one who knew the secret. And he's the one who was foolish enough, to, naive enough to give the secret to his wife. Samson, we could say, if you want to get angry with somebody, then just try looking in the mirror because you're the one who pursued what you don't need in life. With his debt paid off, Samson returned to his father's house. But that leaves us with some questions such as what about his bride? What about his marriage? Well, all of a sudden, Samson's feelings of romance are replaced by rage and revenge. And so he leaves his bride, if we could say it this way, standing at the altar. Now, if you were the father of the bride, how would you respond? Well, chapter 14 ends with her father who was understandably embarrassed by this, giving her in marriage to the best man. Now, let's step back for a moment, and I want you to consider with me here the high price of sin in Samson's life. Because, folks, listen to me. He lost so much more than his wager. He lost his parents' respect. Do you think his parents respected him as a man of God, as his future judge over Israel, as his deliverer of Israel? No, they were probably ashamed of him just a little bit. I don't think dad came home, put his arm around Samson and said, Samson, I'm so proud of your decision-making in life. He lost his parents' respect. He lost his Nazarite separation. Listen, he was supposed to be separated unto God. Personal holiness. But now, he's just like the Philistines. He lost his wife to his best man. Go figure that. What comes around goes around, doesn't it? And then, listen, he lost his integrity to lead Israel. You want to follow a guy like this as your leader? He's one compromise after another. He has no integrity to lead the nation of Israel in battle over his, the Philistines. And consequently, you know what? What's so ironic is you never read Samson rallying the troops, rallying the army of Israel to go into war against the Philistines. Every conflict and battle that Samson has with the Philistines is always motivated and prompted by personal revenge it's all motivated out of selfishness and yet God's still sovereign and he still used it for his glory he still accomplished his purpose God used this turn of events to motivate Samson to, to fight the Philistines instead of entertaining them so Samson ends up where he started Where did he start at the end of chapter 13? At his father's house. Where is he now at the end of chapter 14? Back at his father's house. What started as a wedding with a Philistine girl, oh, we are going to see next week, has turned into an all-out war with the Philistines. Now, quickly, because our time is gone, let me wrap up with two life lessons. Two life lessons from this flawed hero. Number one is when we pursue what we don't need, let me tell you, we receive what we don't want. Every time. When it's all said and done, Samson loses what he compromised to get. Folks, what a lesson. What a lesson. When we pursue what we don't need, we get what we don't want. It's one of those irreversible laws of God. You can't undo this law. Let it sink deep into your heart. When you pursue what you don't need, you will get what you don't want. The second life lesson we learn here is that there's a difference between being empowered by the Spirit and controlled by. By the Spirit. Let me just say a few words here because we will look at this later on in the series. But Samson's basic problem is that he never learned to control his emotions. Time and again, his emotions got him into trouble. First in Romans and now as we're going to see next week in revenge. Samson is the picture of a believer who's totally out of control. And here's the irony. He was empowered by the Spirit of God. Twice we see that in this chapter. But he was never controlled by the Spirit. Listen, that can happen to any of us. Let me, listen to me. If you're a believer here this morning, do you know who dwells within you? The same Spirit of God that empowered Samson. The Holy Spirit indwells us. And what happened to Samson can happen to any of us. Listen to me. We, we are, can be capable of being used by God and at the same time making incredibly stupid mistakes. It explains how some Christians can accomplish great things for God and still fall into sin. I mean, you ever just like, what, how could that guy do that? You ever wonder that? He's being used by God. And the next thing you know, he falls into sin. And you're like, what? Folks, it's because we can be empowered by God. We can be used by God and yet not still be controlled by the power of God, the spirit of God, if you will. So as we ponder this, let me ask you two questions. Are you pursuing what you don't need in life? Like Samson, if you continue to pursue what you don't need, you will always receive what you don't want. And then the second question is, are you controlled by the Spirit of God? That is, are you yielded to the Spirit's power? Are you walking in step with the Spirit's leading? Listen, none of us here will probably never be empowered by the Spirit the way Samson was. I don't think anybody here is going to find a line, rip him apart in half. But you know what? We are all indwelt by the Spirit of God as believers. And the question is, we can be controlled by the Spirit and live for God. Are we that? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning, and and again, we thank you for the life lessons of Samson, the example of Samson, both good and bad. And Lord, I pray that What we have read and learned in Judges 14 will penetrate our hearts, that your word would take root and we would see ourselves, we would examine our own lives, and Lord, we would deal with some of the issues that we need to deal with. Lord, confront us. Open up our eyes and our heart to our weaknesses and let us deal with them. You are a God of grace, but you're also a God who will not be mocked. And so, Lord, we want to find forgiveness in you. And we can because you offer that through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we again, we come to you as needy, needy people. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.